Thank you, Herb, uh, for sharing that wonderful scripture. We, if you haven't learned by now, we are all about God's word, and we're all about him. We want to elevate and magnify the Lord, every aspect of the Lord. And as we elevate the Lord, so does our worship of the Lord. And so does the meaning of Christmas, right? And uh, it's such a beautiful aspect of our life together as a family. Um, as we see many uh, here, some that we've reconnected with because they were struggling physically. What a blessing to be able to hug them and see them this morning and many that we've been praying for and you can continue to pray for and uh, as uh, different things besides COVID are uh, going around and uh, many other things that we can be praying for uh, in our church family. And that's what God designed, is to pull us together. He adopted us to be together, to worship Him. And that's what we strive to do, is to be family. And so what a blessing uh, that is. We'll get a chance, Anissa and I, to go see some family. And, uh, and so that's going to be a, a great time of fellowship with them. And uh, thank you for that. Well, let's go to the Lord and ask Him to bless our time as we go into a topic that I desire more than anything, to have meaning in your life, to be clear in the emphasis uh, during this holiday season that is surrounded, of course, by Christ, by Christmas, not Xmas, not just the holidays, but around Christ. And that really separates when we talk to people about the holidays, when we talk about Christ and, um, of course, we can talk about giving, we can talk about all these things, and everybody gets excited, lights, packages, and all these things. But then when we come to Christ, you can see, you know, uh, the step back or the, the breath in, you know, um, and there's meaning behind the name Christ, and so we want to emphasize that this morning. So let's ask God to bless that as we go to Him. Lord, You are magnificent. You are high and above all things. You are the King of kings. You are, are holy. You are complete. There is nothing that you lack. Lord, thank you that you are true. Thank you that you are faithful. I can think about all those years, Lord, that you said that you would come to be the Savior of the world, and you said that you would send a Savior, a Messiah, the Christ. And many, many years that people waited longingly for the salvation that you would bring. Lord, we know, we've seen, we've heard, we've experienced that salvation. Maybe some know and not experience that relationship with their Savior. We pray that all would know and, Lord, put their faith and trust in you. Lord, we ask that as we, we celebrate Christmas and as we, as a church family, as we think about uh, sharing the gospel to our neighbors, as we, we go caroling, as we share and encourage our neighbors, that, Lord, ultimately we would not forget why Christmas is so special. Lord, we would ask that as I struggle to make things clear, because of, in my humanness, I stumble. I'm imperfect. 
My words are not perfect, but Lord, your word is life. Your spirit is true and it leads us, your spirit leads us to that which is true and teaches us. So Holy Spirit, we encourage and ask that you would just teach our hearts, translate your word, help us to understand and receive it with great joy and peace this morning as a church family. And so Lord, we elevate you and your words that you have given to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Many religious things are very artificial, and, and in fact, many artificial religious things are the bane of our society. We see a lot of artificial things. We know, we see the lights, we see the, the Christmas trees, we see all the trappings that bring us great excitement. We know that Christmas is coming um, I'll never forget the look at one of my kids' face when they opened up. And, you know, you always tell your kids, you know, you might just get a lump of coal. And uh, I'll never forget one of my kids when they opened up and they actually, we bought coal one year. And, <laughs> hey, I wasn't going to tell on you. Uh, but the look of sheer shock on that face, right? We get so entrapped by all the things, the giving, and we get in the excitement of giving, and just like Raul talked about, is that, you know, we open up all the gifts, and then it's done. It's, it's you know, now what? Well, that's okay in, in Anissa's family. It just means it's time to eat. So <laughs> good pies and, and cookies and nice, wet, dripping full of butter and cinnamon, those nice uh, ooey-gooey cinnamon rolls. It's so good. And so, I mean, we don't eat those. We eat those breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And uh, so, yeah, we come back looking like Santa Claus. So we enjoy it. But we get so enthralled with the things, these religious trappings, and we find ways to bring religion into all of these trappings. And you ever notice that our society gets excited about them? It's so safe. We can, we can give gifts to people, right? And they get excited. Holiday season, it's time about giving. It's a time of family, right? When we talk about that. But of course, we're family because of God, right? We enjoy gifts because of the gift. We talk about all of these things, and the world gets excited when we talk about giving and gifts and, and lights and Christmas trees and, 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 and selfishness, right? And then the new year hits, and you lose all of that, and we all start becoming selfish again, right? But it's also, it's amazing with all the religious entrapments, there's high anxiety. There's high, like, you know, pressure. But on the other hand, if we thought about Christ, and if we grasped and we meditate on who Christ really is, right? You know, you can go talk to people about Baby Jesus, and they're okay with that, right? Babies are cute. Babies are cuddly. And then, you know, I'm, I'm already ready for being a grandpa, you know, because then, oh, 
baby needs to be changed. Here you go. <laughs> right? Babies are cute and cuddly, and you can pass them off. But the reality is, is when you talk to people about Christ, everything changes. Christ is everything. Christ separates the entrapments of religion to the reality of truth. Christ is something that is solid that we can stand on and rely on. But it's also something that people get turned off in our society. Why is that? There has to be something different if everything else during Christmas everybody loves. But as soon as you get into Christ, it all changes. The the countenance changes. The breathing changes. Have you ever noticed that? I know I can watch when I'm sharing Christ with somebody, their breathing changes. I can tell whether the truth is having a relax. If the spirit is working, they relax. If, the, if they're fighting the spirit, the anxiety level goes up. It's pretty amazing. You know, as a pastor and counselor, you become pretty adept at judging people's, you know, where they're at. But if we really grasp and meditated on the glory of Christ and the glory of God in Christmas and how Christ was revealed to us and who Christ is, we would never need any artificial gimmick to stir our passions. We wouldn't need Christmas to be excited, would we? Christ is amazing. Christ in how and the fact that Christ is not Christmas is not about the baby but it's about Christ. But how we center everything around the baby, don't we? It's not that the baby is unimportant. Coming in the 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 fashion in all of humanity as a baby is very important. But we certainly would never dream that we need to try to make God cooler or more relevant. Because as we learn in Christmas, as he came as a baby in full human form, but also in full deity and preeminent over all things as God is so amazing. I know as we look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke in the Gospels, you see a lot of the humanity of Christ. But one thing that John does in the Gospel of John, he skips all those human trappings and he goes right as a dagger to the important aspect and theology of who God is and who Christ is. That's why in our text this morning, in John chapter 1, we're going to look specifically at verse 14 and looking at this intriguing insights into the incarnation and that, that God would come in the flesh, Christ, the Lord, Emmanuel, God with us. And we're going to look at verse 14, but let's read verses 1 through 18 together so we can get the entire context. Starting in verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word. And that word is very important, and we'll get to it in a minute. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the very beginning with God. 
All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. I hope you see the parallel to what we read in Colossians together. Verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness was not, has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world and was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but by the will of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This is he whom I said, He who comes after me ranks above me or before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. As we look at this whole aspect of Christ and we look at God in the flesh, or as the Latin word we received, the word incarnation, I was laughing as I was looking through it because I love, I always laugh that the best tacos are in Mexicali or in Mexico. I, the first thing uh, uh, my brother over here did when we went to Mexico together, he took me to a taco bar. It wasn't just a stand, it was a whole bar and just filled my whole table full of tacos. I was like, bless you, Miguel. <laughs> I think he was just kissing up to me. But uh, <laughs> I love meat, and uh, I'm all about the meat. But that's literally what incarnation means, is incarnate, or in the flesh, the flesh, or the meat of things. And that's what John is talking about here. When he gives us the word, God is teaching us about who Christ is, and some very important things. And he tells us these things because what's amazing is over the years, from the very beginning, as soon as the church was established, as soon as Christ rose again and the disciples went out and began to proclaim the gospel, the good news, that we had a, a way to God. We had a, um, I was saying propitiation, but we had a payment for our sin we had something to satisfy the wrath of God. We had Christ, the Lord. And the church began to flourish, and it began to grow. And as it began to grow, also did the heresy. 
And the people that would twist it, they would say, well, this doesn't make sense. How could God come to earth and be God but be man? And so right from the very beginning, the, the incarnation and, and God coming in the flesh began to be twisted. In fact, the majority of the heresies, even today, all go back to who Christ is. And if we don't get who Christ is and the importance of who Christ is, then our life with Christ begins to shift. We begin to look outward instead of to Christ. We begin to look inward instead of to Christ. There are so many different heresies. Uh, I'm going to just focus on two aspects of these heresies that have branched off to over 12 aspects of them, and we have no time to go into all of those. It's a great thing when we do a Christology class to go through all of the twisted ideas that people have about God and Christ. But he points us to some very aspects of these intriguing insights into the incarnation. And as we look at this, we see he says in verse 14, and the word became flesh. The word. The word refers to, in, to intelligence and to what is life-giving force. That's what the Greeks believed. They only used the word logos to refer to the, this, ex, this intelligence that is above all things. They didn't use it to just simply talk about words in a book or words on papyrus or words of wisdom, but they talked about logos as this, this intelligence that was above all things. And the Greeks would use logos to talk about words that give literal life. It's pretty amazing as we think about it. In fact, the Greek philosophers of the day also taught that the spirits were pure. They were holy, but physical matters were corrupt. The term for corruption, weak, unspiritual, part of the human flesh, uh, the word that they used was literally the word flesh, which is pretty amazing. But it's amazing to think about when God uses the word logos or the word the word to refer to Christ that came to be our Savior, the implications here. To understand that, you got to look at 1 John as a, a great, another parallel passage with Colossians chapter 1. But in 1 John chapter 1, in verse 1, we see it says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, talking about Christ, which we looked upon, we have touched with our hands. And listen to how he describes Jesus concerning the word of life. If you go back in our text, he even referred to in verse uh, 4 of John chapter 1, he says, in him was life. So we see here the importance of talking about the fact that the word is life or the life-giving. Why is Christ so important that he came and he died for us? Because through him we have life because he is the word. He isn't just a prophet. He isn't just a baby. 
He isn't just some historic, great historical figure. He is the life. And then we see that he says, and the, and the word became flesh. Or in some translation, he was made flesh, which the word made could be very um, confusing until you look at it in the Greek and, and you realize it's, it's he became it's something that he wasn't previously, but now he is. And it's not saying that he, he changed, that he went from one thing to another and lost something. Literally became flesh means that he took on, he took on this human form in its entirety. Why did he come as a baby? Because he took on all the human characteristics. Everything that we've experienced, Christ has experienced, but as fully God, because he was without any, because he is fully God, he could live as fully human without sin. The perfect spiritual essence, life giving force of God, who was self existent, pre existent, as verse 1 through 3 tells us. He was coexistent. He was with God and he is God. He has always existed from eternity past through eternity future. He wasn't in time. He was above all of that. The word logos became weak. He became flesh. He became mortal, pierceable, vulnerable, sweaty. He became the flesh. 100% man. There's a great illustration that kind of shares to this. I stole it from as I was reading through a commentary and it says this, it says there is a story that is told of this little girl, maybe you can relate your little one, whether girl or boy, who cried out to his mother from her bedroom, Mommy, I'm afraid to be in the dark in this room alone. Her mother replied, it's okay, honey, the Lord is with you. I still remember to this day when I was dealing with night terrors as a little kid at around six and seven, my mom helping me memorize my first verse, Psalm 56.3, what time I'm afraid I will trust in thee. Because I had memorized it in the King, you know, the, the original King James. <laughs> but I will trust in the Lord. And I began to realize, and she said, the Lord is always with you. He is everywhere. And I said, yeah, right. <laughs> but it was amazing. The more that I, I was, I, I, I didn't believe her. I was like, nah, nah, the Lord can't be everywhere. But in this illustration, she said, the, the mom said to the little girl, the Lord is with you. She crawled, she, the little girl cried back out to, out to her mom as her mom left the room. Yes, but I want something with skin on it. <laughs> the mom wisely paused, took a breath and leaned back in the door and said, honey, Jesus is God with skin on. And he has come so that you may never be afraid again. As I began to memorize that verse, I'd wake up in a sweat. I'd just pray, and I would quote that verse over and over again. And eventually, all the nightmares ceased. And it was amazing. But Jesus is God. John is trying to get that clear that he's God, uh, Wes, uh, Charles Wesley, the Wesley brothers who wrote lots of hymns. And he, one of his hymns, he waxed very poetic and 
eloquent, something that I do not do. And he described it this way, and he said, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, right? Hail the incarnate deity, God in the flesh. You know what's so amazing, and we learn about this aspect of who Christ is, is that he became flesh, but this idea in John 14, he says, and the flesh, and he became flesh, and he dwelt among us. The word dwelt here means to pitch a tent. It literally is the same word for tabernacle, the same aspect of what it they described in the Old Testament, the tabernacle where, where God resided so that the Jews and the Israelites knew that God was there, where to go to, to sacrifice and do all these things, the tabernacle. God was showing in the building of the tabernacle and the presence of God, the foreshadowing of Christ, the Christ who had come, dwelt. In fact, it says that he tabernacled or he dwelt among us. Among us literally means in the midst of us. Christ, who is in the flesh, but is 100% God. He in the flesh, as 100% God, came to dwell in the midst of us here today. That's why we worship. We came here not to hear or see to sing certain songs, to, to see certain people. We came because of Christ. We know that John, through the power of the Holy Spirit, was making a connection back to the tabernacle. One of the things that we learn about this and some of the heresies out there is that this, that the incarnation did not make Christ less than God. At any point, it was Jesus less than God. There's a lot of heresies out there that, that say that. In fact, in different churches that say that they are evangelical and Christian and are some of the biggest producers of our music today in the Christian realm, it's become a big money business. So much so that they won't reveal their taxes or their income, basically, of all their music industry. But they've put together these books, and they say that, that God came as a man, and he was fully man, and because he wasn't God, and he did all those supernatural things, and he was just a man, and because he then arose to becoming fully God later, we too can strive and we can, we can do these supernatural things if we just keep working on it. And we can do all of that because Jesus did it and he wasn't God. We have evangelical Christian churches saying that. That Jesus was less than God, but at certain points in Jesus' ministry, he eventually became God. Sounds like Mormonism. Sounds like Islam. Sounds like some aspects of Catholicism. It's amazing as we think about this. The heresy is literally this. Um, they, they say that to be incarnate or to be in the flesh, Jesus Christ became less than God. But the biblical truth that we see here... Oh, I went 
too, a little too far. Let me go back. The, the biblical truth that we see here in verse 14 is that Jesus Christ is in every way fully, 100% God. Hebrews chapter 1 that, that um, Herb referred to us is that in verse 3 he said that he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. If you see Christ, you see God. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, that is Christ, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He is the exact representation. He is the radiance. He is that what radiates the very glory of God. That glory, by the way, that Moses couldn't see lest he die. You see how amazing it is that God gave us Christ? He is not less than God. The other heresy out there is that the incarnation does not make Christ more than man. There's heresies out there today that, and started back when the church started and the, during the very beginning of in 60 AD and 90 AD to be incarnate or to be Jesus. Jesus became more than man. He was more than man. There are some, there are some beliefs out there that in modalism and other different things that, that, that he is spirit and because he is because the flesh is so evil that Jesus could not be man. And so they say that literally that he was just spirit. That everything that they saw as he walked through life, he was just a spirit. In fact, there's one heresy that teaches that Jesus literally did not touch earth. As he walked, he was millimeters on the earth, not even touching it. He had the original Air Jordans, <laughs> right? Here's the thing. The incarnation did not make Christ more than man. The biblical truth is that Jesus Christ is in every way man. 1 Timothy 2, Paul teaching Timothy in verse 5, he says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man. There's only one who can fulfill the, air, the, the mediation to be the priesthood, the man, Christ Jesus. You see, the reality is this, is that Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. You, if you try to twist it and, and try to understand it to our earthly understanding, and we try to change it and say, that God, you know, was 50% God and 50%, it was a unique blending. It takes away from who Christ really is. It really takes away the specialness of the gift of Christ coming all those years ago. And we see that in the fact that Jesus came in the word, the life-giving force, the intelligence, the supreme intelligence, right? I think of all my... My Star Trek days, when I say supreme intelligence. But all of those things that we think about, but the one that is above all things, the Word, now dwells among us. 
it's very special. There's some important parallels that we see about the Old Testament tabernacle in this aspect of that Jesus who now dwells with us. You know, the tabernacle was the center of Israel's encampment. It was the exact, in Numbers 150, the priests gathered around, and as they gathered around to be able to serve everyone else and lead them to God, they were the priests, they would draw everybody to them so that way they could make sacrifice for sins. So the tabernacle was the center of every aspect of the Israel's life. It's pretty amazing, but if you think about it, the great spiritual significance here is that because Jesus Christ is our tabernacle, he is the absolute center of everything in our life. I like what, what Jesus said in John 12, 23. He says, but when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. He is the absolute center, the absolute radiance of God. Galatians, this is why Paul said in Galatians 2.20, this is why Paul can make this amazing statement. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I. It's no longer self-centeredness. It's no longer about me. But it's Christ who lives in me. He is the power. He is everything. It's about Christ being the central power aspect focus of my life. The tabernacle was the dwelling of God. That's where God came to rest in the Holy of Holies. And that's because that's where God rested, that nobody could go in the Holy of Holies because if you weren't absolutely pure, you would die. Think about that. But now we have Christ who dwells among us in our midst And we have the very glory of God before us. That's what makes worship so special. Because we don't have to go go to uh, the Holy of Holies. We don't have to do weeks upon weeks of washing. We don't have to be fearful. We can come to the presence of God and worship Him. Ask for help. Be encouraged beloved by our Father who is in heaven. We have seen the glory, the glory of the only one who has come from the Father. We, there's so much here, this whole idea of the dwelling. The other aspect is the tabernacle was a place where the law of God was preserved. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He preserves the law. We cannot fulfill the law, but Jesus did So that way we can have his righteousness. That's why we need Christ. He preserves the law. It speaks to the fact that Christ is uniquely qualified because he is 100% God and 100% man. He can then give us the ability to fulfill the law. Psalms 50, that's why... David wrote in Psalms 40, verse 8, he says, I desire to do your will. Oh my God, your law is within my heart. The tabernacle was the place where sacrifices was made. Hebrews chapter 9 tells us the significance of that. 
as it refers to Christ. In Hebrews 9.22, it says, In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. That's why they came and they made sacrifices at the tabernacle, but because Christ is our tabernacle, we have the 100% God and the 100% man that now can make the one and only sacrifice for our sin. You see why Christ is so important? That way it's just not the baby. It's not just the wise man. It's not just that he lived. It's that he is God and that he is man fully. He can make that sacrifice for us. Not only that, but think about this. The tabernacle was the place where God met with man. That's where interaction and the relationship could happen with people, God's people. Can you imagine what it would have been like to not see a pillar? If you don't know your history of the Old Testament, when the tabernacle was there, during the day there would be this pillar of smoke, and they knew that God was there. By night, there would be this pillar of fire. They knew that God was there. And if it moved, you moved. Because there was safety where God was. There was a relationship with the creator. But now that's who Christ is. He is the one who helps us daily, hourly, minute by minute in our life to meet with God. John 1.18, no one has ever seen God, the only, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. The people of God brought their sacrifice and their gifts to this place. They brought their questions to this place. They received instructions from God here. The tabernacle is where the people of God worshipped. Christ is because of Christ we can worship in the same way we Christians gather around the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our tabernacle. It is he who regulates our worship. We cannot regulate worship because without Christ, there is no worship. Our worship and our praise and our service all is because of Christ. That's why Listen, when 1 John 1.3, listen to what it says again about meeting with God. It says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, it says, That which we have seen and heard and we proclaim, we also proclaim to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. We can have fellowship with one another. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father, and with the Son, Jesus Christ. In all these things, we are writing to you that your joy may be complete. The tabernacle was the place where God met with men. Christ is where we worship. Christ allows us to have that relationship with the Father. Without Christ, no relationship. We cannot meet with God. But because of Christ, we can meet with God. 
I want to say this. The incarnation or God coming in the flesh, the incarnation of Jesus does not save by itself, but is an essential link into God's plan of redemption. Without God in the flesh, Christ coming in the flesh, we would not have salvation. There is no other way by which men might be saved but through Christ. The theologian John Murray explains it this way. He said, the blood of Jesus is the blood that has the requirement or the requisite efficacy or efficacy and the virtue only by reason of the fact that he is who, that is Christ, is the Son. The affluence of the Father's glory in the fullness of the Father's glory and the express image of his substance he became himself also partaker of the flesh and blood and thus was able by one sacrifice to perfect all things who are that come to him are sanctified the author of the hebrew of hebrews in our bible says this likewise writes about jesus in hebrews 2:17 he says had to be made like his brothers Wow. In every, in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for our sins. He had to come. That's why we talk about the gift of Christ and how special it is. You see how important Christ is? He's not just a baby. He is everything because he's God. Listen to what we have because of Christ. Hebrews chapter 4 goes on to tell us what we have. He says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. We have perseverance because we know God is God and he is faithful We have perseverance in our weak times. We have perseverance in our hard times. We have confidence because we have Christ. He goes, in the book of Hebrews, goes on to say, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. You know, that time of need is not just finances. It's not just in sickness and in health, our bodies. But it's in our walk with God. It's our ability to love God. It's in our ability to love our neighbors. It's our ability to know God. We can draw near to confidence and know that he will not laugh at us. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever done something humiliating and your family just kind of laughs at you? They do it whenever I... I don't trip going downstairs. I don't know what the deal is. I trip going up the stairs. It's just my routine, I guess. I don't pick my feet up. But here's the thing. You know, 
when we come to God and we feel humiliated, we're struggling, and we think, you know, I'm a believer, I have Christ, I should be okay, I should have confidence, but right now I'm struggling. But we have a Father that we can go to in confidence who we know will love us. That is because of Christ. I want to read that again in 1 Timothy 2, 5 as we close. For there is one God and there is only one mediator who mediates on our behalf, who is interceding for us, who is praying for you right now, just like he prayed in John 17. He is still praying for you. He's still praying for us. And there is one mediator between God and man, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. As we go and celebrate Christmas with our family, let's not forget this great significance of Christ. It's just not about the baby. Let's not fall into the trappings. No matter what you want to give or can't give, or no matter what you get or don't get, I remember my first Christmas being married. I'm used to getting everything for me. All my gifts that year were for us. And they were more for us on the female side of us. <laughs> and my wife looked at me and she could just see the look on my face. The countenance was like, this is a bummer. <laughs> I was like, I love being married. But I also learned I was still a little bit selfish. I liked my stuff. <laughs> and now I find myself... I just want stuff for us. It's weird after 26 years. I don't want stuff for me. I want stuff to make life easier for us. So it's, it's weird how God changes that. And you know what that is? That's the work of Christ in our life. We become more peaceful. We become more resilient. We become more joyful. Because of the, you know what joy is? Is the radiant Glory of God in our life, no matter what the circumstance is, we have Christ. And you know what? We don't just open them up on Christmas. We, he dwells with us. He tabernacles with us. Don't forget that. Lord, I thank you for that very beautiful Scripture that tells us all that we have because of Christ. Thank you that we have a relationship with you because of Christ. If we have Christ, we have everything. Sadly, there's a lot of people that know about Jesus. They know about the Bible. They know about God. Maybe, And sometimes they don't know about God and they reject God, but they know about the Bible and the God of the Bible but they don't know you. They don't have a relationship with you because they don't truly have Christ. Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would, would awaken those that don't have Christ, that they would take that just ordinary flesh, that ordinary life that's filled with sin, and Lord, that they would recognize that they do not have the, the mediator the 100% God and the 100% man, Christ, to be the payment for their sin that would satisfy your wrath for our sin because you are a holy, righteous, and just God. So Lord, I pray that they would 
bow down before you and call upon you because they recognize that they are sinners and they need you. They need Christ, who's the only one that can satisfy and pay for their sin. They're the only right payment. Lord, I pray that they would call upon you and that they would receive that that blessed gift of that relationship with you because of what Christ did on the cross when he died and rose again. Because he is our Lord. He is Christ. Lord, we thank you for that beautiful gift. May we behold it. May we treasure it. May it be our greatest treasure as a church family. But Lord, may we not grasp onto it to the exclusion of those around us. May we rejoice because we get to unwrap that gift every day. And may we proclaim it to those we come in contact with every day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.